Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that these songs that we sing to you, the words that we declare back to you are truth. You really are our way maker. You are our mountain mover. We have the confidence, the faith, the trust in you that even when we don't feel like things are moving, we can trust you they are. Even when we can't see that you're moving on our behalf, we can trust and know that you are. You're completely faithful. Not just because I say it, but Father, because you say you're faithful and because we've all experienced your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you, God. Some of us experienced your faithfulness literally for decades now. Year after year after year, we've seen you move mountains and make ways where there didn't seem to be any ways, and yet there you were. But Lord, I think all of us are in process, even as Lois prayed earlier. All of us have something we're going through right now. And yet we can declare you are the mountain mover. You're working on our behalf on these situations, on these circumstances, on these relationships, on things that are too big or outside of our, our power to move. And we can trust you and know that you are moving things on our behalf. And we thank you and praise you for that. Thank you, Father. Today, Father, as I talk about salvation, I pray that you would uh, reawaken salvation in all of our hearts. I, I've been saved for so many years, decades now, Lord. There's sometimes that I can think, well, I've heard that before. I've read that before. I know that. And, Lord, I just stand before you today. I want to be the first one that has a fresh excitement in the born-again experience of salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you touch each one of us, reawaken in us that Holy Ghost fire that happened in each one of us when we got born again and Jesus Christ became our Lord and Savior. Help us to hear your word today. Holy Spirit, would you teach us, would you direct us, would you equip, equip us so that we can uh, not only know the word, we can live the word and we can share the word. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said... Amen. Go ahead and be seated, everyone. Thank you, worship team. All the kids and the children's church workers are released. those of us that are still in here, if you could turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 10, please. You may have heard that me and Jeanette were under the weather this week. We, uh, we took our life in our own hands and we went out to Chuck E. Cheese last Saturday. So uh, it's an electronic Petri dish if you've never been there before. <laughs> it's got all these gadgets and games and everything and there's tons of kids running around and wiping their nose and touching everything and coughing and hacking and doing the stuff that kids do. And so, yeah, so we were sick 
this week. <clears throat> but God is good. We're on the men. We're on the upswing. Um, so today is the first of our foundation stones. I'm going to be talking about firm foundations and laying foundation stones that basically are 10 of the core beliefs of us as born-again Christians here at Newhall Christian Fellowship. What do we believe in? And so for sure that we have to always start with salvation, the born-again experience that makes us Christians, born-again Christians. And so today as I, I start talking about these things, uh, I just want to try to encourage us to, uh, as I'm going through these scriptures, maybe you want to take notes, maybe you want to go online, listen to this later on again. When this is all done, I'm going to put all 10 of these lessons into a booklet, and anybody that wants one, you can have that for reference. But I really want to get us to a place that the Bible tells us go make disciples. Well, if I'm going to make a disciple, then I have to know what a disciple is, and I have to be a disciple that's equipped to make disciples. Does that make sense? If I'm going to teach someone how to play football, I need to know what football is. I need to know how to play it, and then I need to know how to teach it. And so if we're going to teach people how to be healthy, born-again Christians, I like, I like the term self-replicating. If, if you can replicate yourself as a Christian, then that's what we need to do. That, that's, that's called going and making disciples. So can we self-replicate? Can we lead someone to salvation? Can we lead someone through water baptism? Could we teach them how to pray, how to study the Bible? Could we teach them how to live a godly life, how to steward the things God's given them? Those are my goals in this 10-week series. It may take longer than 10 weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there'll be 10 different stones, 10 foundation stones that I'm going to be talking about. So we start out with salvation today. And I want us to, to be clear about what we believe, how do we live that, and then how do we share that. And so today we're going to start in Romans chapter 10. Um, a couple of my favorite verses, if you ever want to just tell someone about being born again, being saved, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10 will take you right to the verses what the Bible says about being born again, about being Christians. And so I'm just going to start at Romans 10, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I kind of put those extra few verses in there just to kind of give a... Um, the fuller picture of it, you only have to believe in your heart and confess your mouth to be saved, to be born again Christian. I like how this says that whoever, no matter if you're a Greek or a Jew, whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ shall not be put to shame. In other words, there is a day, the Bible says there's a clear day, there's a judgment day, where after we die, we will stand before the Lord. And the books are going to be open and the book's going to be open. If you're a born again Christian, your name is in the book of life. They'll open it up and they'll be right here to, yep, Brad Pipple, come on in. If it's not, then your name's going to be one of the other books. But there will be a day in the future where all of us will die and then stand before judgment. There's a day coming up. And so if our name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, we don't have to worry about being ashamed. We don't have to worry about having any kind of fear. We don't have to worry about if it's post-trib or mid-trib or pre-trib. or uh, What does that mean what's going on in Afghanistan? What does it mean with the Democrats or the Republicans? We have to worry about any of that stuff. 
Our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We can live wholeheartedly for God because know that the way maker, the mountain mover, is in charge of our lives. Amen? <clears throat> so I love in verse 10, I'm going to kind of go into full teaching mode today, so I'll be looking at a lot of my notes. I'll be giving you a lot of information, and like I say, this will be online, so you can go back and re-listen to it. And when this is all done, I'll give everybody handouts of the, the material that I'm going over for reference. But in verse 10, it says... Um, that verse 10 explains verse 9. So verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Verse 10, referencing that, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so that's a pretty amazing thing. The condition for righteousness is an internal thing. The condition for confession is an external thing. So salvation is inside and out. And so Paul says, look, at I said this to make sure you realize that. With your heart, one believes unto righteousness. Now, all of us have heard the stories where somebody says, well, I, I'm going to get saved later on in life after I have my fun. You know what? Maybe that works out. Maybe it doesn't. I would never recommend it. If you've got faith in the Lord right now for salvation, you better go for it. Because sometimes things happen in life that make our hearts harden, and later on, maybe you don't want to repent. Maybe later on, you don't want to turn to God in faith. Today is the day of salvation. Paul says, I've said all this for this thing. The condition for righteousness is that being justified is an internal faith. The condition for salvation, meaning deliverance from wrath and the power of sin, is an external confession. So, Let's break down the righteousness a little bit closer. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness. <clears throat> Excuse me for all my coughing and hacking and all this stuff. I think in a couple more days I'll be back to normal, but right now my body's still trying to clear out some junk. But uh, So with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. Now what do you believe for righteousness? What, what's Paul saying that we have to believe? What, what do I want to make sure I believe in to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, number one, i got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Not just that he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God, but he is the Son of God. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He was the Son of God in heaven that came to earth, that put on a human suit, that lived a perfect sinless life, that went to the cross, that died a horrible death on the cross, that went to the tomb for three days and rose from the dead. I believe in that Jesus. He is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose on that third day. Amen? Amen? All these things are very simple things. I love salvation. I love Jesus Christ. I love Christianity because it's so simple. Is it easy? No, some of it's not easy. Humbling yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to enjoy the salvation, saviorship of Jesus, some of that's not so easy, but it's super simple. I don't need to get out my... Uh, all my tool die making, I don't need to get calculators out, I don't need a protractor, I don't need a micrometer, I don't need a height gauge, I don't need any of that stuff to say Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God. He died for my sins and he rose on the third day. Hallelujah. I believe that in my heart. That gives me because I take God at his word. God said Jesus was his son. Because I believe Jesus who said he was God's son. Because I believe in the whole Bible story about God said he sent his son to die for me and he rose on the third day. Because I believe all that, God takes Jesus' righteousness, his perfect standing with himself, and gives that to me. 
I get his righteousness because I believe him. Therefore, by faith, it's accounted to me as righteousness. We hear this throughout the whole New Testament, especially in the epistles. Righteousness is a, a fancy word for a, another word, justification. Now, justification is almost, uh, it's, it can be likened to um, a lawyer's term or even accounting term. To be justified is a legal term to be used in the courts. And if you picture a man that comes into the court, say, I'm the judge, and they bring this guy in that says, yeah, he, um, he, he ran a red light. He's done it six times, so he, he needs to be sentenced. He comes in, and I, as the judge, I can go, you know what? I've looked at this. He's actually innocent. He is justified. He can leave. I'm saying, I'm proclaiming he's innocent regardless of what he did or didn't do. As a judge, I can say, you are justified, you can leave, you're innocent. When we go in the heaven's courts and we step up in front of God Almighty, we all know we're all guilty. True? Anybody here never did any sin? Ridiculous, ain't it? All of us know that we are guilty. When we go and we stand before God and God says you're justified, he's not saying you never sinned. Oh, you're perfect. He's saying, no, you're justified because you believe in my son. Therefore, I proclaim you justified as if you've never sinned. You're guilty. You're guilty of sin. But because of faith in my son, I'm going to look at his righteousness and I'm going to proclaim you innocent now and you are justified. It's absolutely incredible. When a man appears before God, he's anything but innocent. We all know ourselves. What about just today? Don't even think about your worst years before you got saved or that one bad day. Just think about today. Every single thought that came through your mind, was there any that you thought bad about somebody instead of thinking life, believing good for them? How about just people that you love, maybe your family? Yeah, I'm still irritated with them because they're not doing this, or I'm irritated with them because they're still doing that. There's all, driving in here, look at this idiot. How come they never use their blinkers? And here's this guy riding his blakes, go the speed limit. Uh, if, if you want to see how spiritual you are, go to Myers after church. If you can keep your peace and joy at Myers right after church on a Sunday, God bless you. When we go before God, imagine all the little things that I just joked about and then all the big things that we're all ashamed about in our lives. Our hall of shame. All that stuff is justified through Christ. Are we guilty of it? Yeah, we are. But the judge proclaims us forgiven and justified in Jesus Christ. Whew. Man. The Bible says that God justifies the ungodly. In case you think I'm exaggerating some of this or twisting it to make a point that I want to make, I can't. I can't exaggerate how good God is and how good the gospel is. I can't exaggerate how overwhelming his love is to us as he takes us as hopeless sinners and makes us redeemed saints. I can't exaggerate it. It's so good. It's so amazing. It's so powerful. God justifies the ungodly. As soon as we're justified... Now we have full access to God. Otherwise, we'd have to stay almost like on a spiritual treadmill. We just keep running and repenting, running and repenting, running and repenting, running and repenting. Hopefully we're going to get good enough saying today that we can talk to God and, 
and even ask for something. That's, that's a big fat lie. The cross is a place of an exchange. Now, we all know Jesus took our sin, amen? When we're justified, there, there's a saying, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's right, but it's only half right. Justified is as if I've never sinned, and justified is I receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how being born again can work. Otherwise, if I'm only over here, just as if I'd never sinned, oops, I just had another thought, I just sinned. Oh, Lord, would you please forgive me for that? Oh, now I'm condemned. Oh, Lord, would you please forgive me for condemning? Oh, Lord, would you please? We would just be stuck on the spiritual treadmill. It's just as if I've never sinned, and the justification is the righteousness of Jesus Christ imbued on me, which is a fancy word which basically says here, this is yours now. I'm going to put this on you and in you, imbued with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we actually are clothed in his righteousness. When God looks at us right now, we have the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ on us. Man. Now we have the peace, the joy, and the access of God because we're justified. We are guilty of what we've done, but that guilt and shame has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So at the cross, we exchanged all of our sin, the sin we already did, the sin we're doing right now, and the sin we're going to do, and now we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ through his forgiveness. Whew, man, this is big stuff, guys. This is as big as it gets. Because to get where I'm, I'm telling you we all are now through Jesus Christ, to get to that place with God where all my sin's gone, and I have the same favor, the same position as Jesus with God. For this to happen, there's only two ways I can get here with God. Number one, I have to be perfect. The Bible says if you're going to be perfect in the law, you have to keep all of the law. So even though you might just steal and you've never murdered, you're still guilty of the whole law because you broke that one law. So if I'm going to be perfect with God, I have to be perfect my whole life. And well, I missed that one. The only other way is to come through faith in Jesus Christ, who was perfect his whole life. He was perfect as a one-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 20-year-old, as a 30. Every day in between, he was absolutely, positively perfect. And he did that for us, lived a sinless life, gave up everything in heaven, came down here because of his great love for us. And so when we exchange our guiltiness and we come in through justification and in our hearts we believe in Jesus, we have the righteousness of Christ imbued on us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now we are born again, born from above, born with a new spirit, and we begin this brand new life in Jesus Christ. Wow, man. By trusting in the righteousness of a person who's lived a sinless life and who stands before us as the ideal man, the ideal man who can represent us before God, so with the heart, a sincere heart that believes God and believes in his son, a person is justified. Half of it, just as if I'd never sinned. Yep, justified, I am imbued with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why is this so important? Well, if we only leave this... We have two options. We hit the pause button and we don't ever do another thing in our whole lives so we can stay sinless. Or we stand in that perfection that Christ has given us and we come over here with access to God and we go, God, now you got me cleaned up. Now that you made me new, what, what do you want to do with me? 
God, now that I have the righteousness of Jesus, I'm clothed in his very robe, how, how do you want to use me? How can I share your love with people? How can I give victory in my life? How can I help others give victory in their life? What do you want me to do? Why did you save me? Because I want to lay hold to everything that you laid hold of me for. Whew, man. Man, oh man, oh man. So with the heart, we get the condition of righteousness. With the mouth, confession's made on to salvation. And it is in that instant, like for me, uh, it was June 18th. It was a Tuesday night. It was probably about 7.30 at night, way back in 1991. I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Through that confession, from what I believed in my heart, and I made that confession, I asked him to forgive me all my sins. I asked him to come, forgive me, cleanse me, and be my Lord and Savior. Bam! Chaboom! Throughout all eternity. Mike Young totally changed and got born again from above. My everything got changed in that instant. That's what the Bible says. Because of his great love, because he made a decision to love me and send his son for me, that happened. Not because I was a good spiritual guru or some genius or I deserved it. Any, no! Because of his great love, he chose me for salvation. He saved me on that Tuesday evening. Changed my everything. Salvation comes through confession. But guess what else? From that instant all the way to this morning now, I'm confessing the Lord Jesus Christ over my, my life, over my family, over my everything, everywhere I'm going for. So as I run into situations, like last week when I was sick, had a few different things going on, I still was claiming the Bible, confession, salvation through confession. I am born again Christian, and the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I was healed. Father, I want to see your word manifest in my life. Your, your word says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know how many times I've had to use that in my lifetime? Um, like when I was in manufacturing and sent into meetings, I had no idea what was going on. I'd be like, Holy Spirit, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but you're going to have to do it. Or some of the times when I was in Nigeria or in Haiti or you name it, all of us have made those confessions of the promises of God in situations in our life. Amen? In our heart, the righteousness is already there. Righteousness through the condition in my heart. Salvation, eternity in heaven, my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, happened on that Tuesday through confession. Absolutely. And today, salvation will come in areas of my life as I confess the Bible in my life. Amen? As we confess the Bible in our relationships, as we confess the Bible in our jobs, in our employment, in our neighborhoods, salvation comes through confession, through believing in our heart, and confession, that's where it manifests through there. So Paul says, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why did I say this? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confessions made unto salvation. We bring salvation from heaven to the here and now through our believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. We did it for our eternity. We bring it for every other area in our lives. So look at this. Turn, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, please. We're going to jump around just a little bit as I start to bring this towards a close. I think one of the things that the enemy wants to try to get us to do 
is to believe things in our heart and then leave them there and not really, not really have the power of confession too active in our lives. I think he wants us to think it doesn't really matter, but when I read the Bible, it seems to matter a great deal. So Luke chapter 12, verse 8, this is what Jesus says. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And I've talked to people, I used to work with people that said they were Christians, and they, they didn't ever want to talk about Jesus, they didn't want to share the gospel, they never even wanted to. If you ask them point blank, are you born again, they say, that's, that's for me to know and not for you to know. That's too private. But when I read the Bible, the Bible seems to say, Jesus says, if you confess me in front of people, I'll confess you in front of the angels and in front of my Father. Matthew chapter 10 says about the same thing. If you want, you can turn it there. I'm going to read it. Therefore, Jesus says, Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33, almost the exact same thing. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my fathers in heaven. For whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who's in heaven. Wow. So turn with me to John chapter 9, please. Romans 10, where we started, is another one of those chapters I just encourage you today. Go back and read the whole chapter. See the context of verses 9 and 10 in the midst of this whole chapter. Because it, Romans 10 is so chock-a-block full of great things about theology, about salvation, about us sharing the gospel, about today is a day of salvation. Who's supposed to share the gospel? Well, it can't be shared unless someone carries the gospel. That's me and you carrying the gospel forward. John chapter 9. Going to go to verse 20. This is talking about this guy that Jesus just healed. Everybody knew that he was a beggar. He was, he was born blind. This guy was maybe in his 30s or 40s. Everybody knew it. So they start asking his parents, the Sanhedrin, the religious community, start asking his parents. Verse 20, his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. He's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So even back then and even now, sometimes when you confess Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it will cost you something. It could cost you something at work. It could cost you something in a relationship. It could cost you something. But it's always been like that. And Jesus started out being very clear. If you confess me in front of people, I'll confess you in front of the angels in front of my father. So we see this story in John chapter 9 where the, the parents seen their son miraculously healed by Jesus but still wouldn't confess him in front of men. That's, that's scary. Turn just a few chapters forward from that. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 42. 
Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Wow. So even rulers, people in prestige and power, caved to uh, the, the will of the people around them. Parents, even though their son was healed, caved to the power of the people around them. Even after what Jesus has said, it's so clear, they still did this. In, in 1 John chapter 4, 2, 3, listen to this. This is 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. It is a very clear thing when you're talking to someone about spiritual matters, if they refuse to say Jesus Christ is Lord. I, I can just encourage you right there, probably stop trying to teach them anything else spiritual. If, if they won't confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, I, I don't think you can teach them anything else spiritual. And this is why I say this. Turn with me, we're going to start closing with this. Turn with me to John chapter 3, please. I'm not saying that some people can't be good people without God. I've met, I've met people that made me think this, honestly. This person's a better person without God than I am with God. Have you ever met people like that? They're so good, they're so kind, they're so nice, they're so generous, and they don't believe in God. And I just walk away amazed going, this is how you are without God's help. What would you be like with God's help? Oh, my goodness. I've tried so many times to try to convince good, because I used to think logically, which spiritual and logic don't always go together. I used to think these guys are so close. He's not like, like I used to be. I had to repent of so much stuff. I had to go away from so many things. I had to throw so much junk out. I had to try to change almost everything about me to try to be a Christian. These guys are like, what? you wouldn't have to try to change much at all, and you can enjoy God's presence. It doesn't work like that. It's a total heart condition about believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And look, we'll look at this story, and this is what I'm going to close with. It's a story about two men, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. So John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mom, mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus was one of the smartest scripture knowers in the nation. He was one of the top Jewish rulers in the synagogue. 
anything about Old Testament, anything about Torah, this guy would have known it, frontward, backward, sideways. As far as those kind of matters, he had it. He sneaks to Jesus at night because of the various things we've been talking about, that climate, whereas if you said that you believed in Jesus, especially if you worked in the church, you're going to take a bunch of grief. You're going to get ostracized. You're going to get cut off. You're going to lose your job, lose your position, probably lose your family. You're going to lose your community. So here's Nicodemus. He's an expert in everything religious, and he comes and he sneaks and talks to Jesus at night. And he starts wanting to ask Jesus about some of these things. He's like, hey, rabbi, I know that you're, you're, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, I know you're a good guy. Nobody can do these signs unless he, he's with God. And Jesus cuts right through all of it. He says, guess what? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. These things will not make sense to you unless you're born again. Period. And I know people say, well, what about this? What about that? I'm just telling you, Jesus himself said, unless you're born from above, Unless you're reborn with the Spirit of God, spiritual things you won't be able to see. Nicodemus then turns, I'm not sure if he was trying to be sarcastic or if he was really trying to be sincere. If I said this to Jesus, I can't figure any way where I would have been sincere in asking him this. After Jesus said, look, you got to be born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And then if I said this to Jesus, oh, right, so I'm supposed to go back in my mom so I can get born again and then I'll get it? There's no way I can rephrase that and say it in a different way that that's not sarcasm, right? That's what he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, look, let me just tell you something. Unless you're born of the water, flesh, and you're born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Man, you, you know, you see the wind blow and you see the effect on the tree. You can't see the wind, but you see the effect on the tree. You don't know where that wind came. You don't know where it's going, but you see the effect on the tree, so is everyone born in the kingdom of God. Can you see the Holy Spirit in me? Nope. Can you see the effect of the Holy Spirit in me and the lordship of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what he tried to tell and explain to him. When you're born again, born from above, born of the Spirit inside, you will change. People might not see the Spirit coming in, going out, but the effect will be you will change. Turn with me to John chapter 19 now. And I am closing with this. So that's Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. We're going to also look at Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich guy. Both these guys had, had a great deal of means and resources. John chapter 19, this is after Jesus has been crucified. These guys had both talked to Jesus at night had snuck in, had tried to do a little bit on the side without any of their friends or rallies or, or co-workers finding anything out about him. So Jesus gets crucified. He's, uh, well, let's just read it and then I'll talk a little bit more. John chapter 19, verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission so he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
There they laid Jesus because the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Now, in your version, it might say it a little bit different, but one thing I want to draw your attention to, both of these guys used to try to have a relationship with Jesus in the secret of night when no one else knew. For them to go and ask Pilate, who by this time was thoroughly frustrated with Jesus, having had to crucify him, having to go through all the inquisitions, having to go through all this stuff, all the eyes are on this leader trying to deal with Jesus once and for all. The religious community is there making sure that he doesn't break the Jewish law and he doesn't let Jesus off the hook. Everybody's here for these two guys to come into his court and ask for this body. They didn't care who else was watching at that point. Did you ever think about that? Something huge shifted in the story here. These guys who snuck around at night trying to get an answer or two and responded with sarcasm, all of a sudden they come with great cost in every sense of the word. A hundred pounds of this mixture of myrrh and aloe would have been maybe a thousand dollars to do it now. Things being like things being like. An unused tomb was one of the most expensive things in the country. Whole families, generations were put in a tomb. To have a brand new tomb with not even one single body in there would have been super mega expensive. Here these guys come in to the head guy's court with everybody watching, all eyes front, and go, can we have his body? And then they spend a great deal of money on his body to put him away, to worship him as they put him into the tomb. Something changed. Somebody got born again. Somebody put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing to me that these guys could have such a change, even though it probably cost them everything. Not just the money of, of burying them, not just the money of getting the tomb, but it probably cost them all of their rallies. All their relatives wouldn't talk to them after this. They couldn't go back to church. They were done at church. Um, for uh, um, Nicodemus, he lost his job too. I don't know if his wife had anything to do with him or if she left with him, but all the other relatives would have cut him loose. So imagine when, when you got born again. I think most of us here are born again. Everybody I'm looking at, to my knowledge, is born again here. What did it cost you when you got born again? When you came to Christ, did, did your wife leave you? Did your husband leave you? Did you lose your job? Did, did the church that you belonged to, they all kick you out of there? Did uh, all your friends go, no, I don't want anything else to have to do with you? Most of us, it didn't cost us anything. I mean, I, I took a little bit of heat, a little bit of mocking, and people made fun of me a little bit, but nothing like this, n nothing all like this. And I just think, when we get saved, when we get born again, and we get, we get an accurate view of who Jesus, our, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior is, it's worth everything. Jesus is worth everything. So I just want to ask a couple of questions, and I'm going to pray. So everyone listen to my voice right now. Let me ask just a few very important questions. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Notice I didn't say was the Son of God. He is. He's still the Son of God reigning in heaven. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe he died on the cross and rose to new life on the third day? Through faith in Jesus, have you asked God to forgive your sins and for Jesus to become your personal Lord and Savior? This is where we start with our foundation stones, with our firm foundations, because everything goes out of salvation. I'm not going to try to explain water baptism to someone if they're not born again. Jesus said if you're not born again, you can't enter the kingdom. You can't even see it. 
It won't make sense to you. So if we're going to go and make disciples, if we're going to affect this neighborhood, in our neighborhood, and our relatives, our friends, if we're going to affect them, the first thing is we have to share Jesus Christ with them. We have to start at the start. Are you born again? Have you had your sins forgiven? Because Jesus Christ can do all that right now. So the, the message today is for us to know what our faith is rooted on. The message today is, are we going to live our salvation? Because the first half is over here. I am now, I'm guilty of sin, and I'm innocent in Jesus Christ. I'm totally forgiven, just as if I've never sinned. Yep. And salvation comes through confession. So what am I confessing for salvation to come into my life, into my relationships, into my family, into my finances, into my health, into, you fill in the blank. Confession is that salvation, but confession through salvation is a daily walk with God too. Amen? So am I born again? Am I confessing salvation into my daily walk with Christ? And am I sharing salvation with people around me? That's what God's called us to. Let's go and make disciples. Amen? Well, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this group of people. Uh, Father, I was so blessed to hear Craig, um, to listen to Brad talking about the faithfulness of this group of people and how they've ministered to Mary Becca is so true, Lord. I've been over there a few different times and watching this special group of people love this woman as she goes through a tough time. And Lord, I just thank you for that. Thank you, God. According to your word, you said that you take the lonely and you put them in families, and that's me in this family. And I thank you and praise you for that. Father, I thank you that I'm surrounded by giants of the faith. Mary's one of them. I could name other people sitting here in this room right now, but I'd embarrass them. But, Father, I thank you that I can read about giants of the faith in your Bible, and I can look around on a Sunday morning and see a whole bunch more of them too. And I just thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that I get to worship you and pray to you and serve you with people that are genuine, that love you and love serving you, that are, for me, that are true examples of born-again Christians, I just thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for every man and woman and child in this place. Thank you for every home, every house, every marriage in this place. I ask your blessing on them in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Father, this is the first of 10 firm foundations that I'm going to lay in this place. And of course, Lord, unless you build a house, I'm laboring in vain. So I pray, Father, that you would bring um, supernatural content and, and supernatural structure now to this teaching about salvation to each one of us, to all of us, and that we would bear fruit unto your name. Would you please do that now, Father? I ask your blessing on your people. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. So God bless you. Uh, just a reminder, Friday is that joint service over there at DCC. And it's going to be worship and it's going to be body ministry. And what I mean by body ministry is there'll be time for a prophetic word. There'll be time for prayer. If you want prayer specific thing, there'll be plenty of ministry teams and ministry people to pray for any kind of prayer needs that you have. Maybe, maybe you want to hear something from God. That'd be a great environment to go in, to believe for a prophetic word, believe God to speak through someone else to bring a prophetic word to you. Maybe you just want to go in and go, you know what, I just want to unplug from my 24-7 in a different environment and just worship God and get refreshed, it'll be great for that too. So all the details are right on, if you Google DCC, Downtown Christian Church, you'll find their uh, website and then all the details are right on that. Otherwise, the address and the time's right in our bulletin. So God bless you and uh, we'll see you maybe Wednesday night at Life Group 
or Friday night over at DCC. Have a great week.